Good evening. It's uh, good to be here to worship God. It's good to see you here and welcome if you're joining us online. Um, those of you who are paying attention to the PowerPoint will have been reminded again about the fellowship lunch next Sunday. Um, if you haven't signed up and you'd like to come, uh, tonight's the last opportunity, so please do if you can. We're going to have a read from the Psalms as uh, we start our service. And it's good to capture that this is somebody's heart towards God. These are not just words written on a piece of paper, but they're to be sung, to be shouted out, to move our hearts as well as our lips. So I'm going to start by reading the first three verses of Psalm 107. And then we're going to move on later in the psalm to some verses which will be more closely linked to what John will be speaking to us about later. So this is what God's word says. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Then moving through to um, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on great waters, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous work to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people, and praise him in the assembly of the elders." Well, as God's word has been telling us to praise God, let's, let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we ask that our hearts will be moved as we hear your word. We pray that we will be people who want to tell others about how wonderful you are. Oh, Lord, we are glad about what we have heard about you how you healed the sick, how you calmed the storm. And we pray that you will give us a faith in you which relies on you whatever happens. Oh Lord, we are told to cast our cares on you because you care for us. And we ask that that will be the way that we live. We pray that we will be living to bring great glory to you. And we pray that if we're yours and we've been rescued by you and you've been good to us, we will be people who say so. Not just around Sundays, but in our lives, that we will be able to give praise and honour and glory to our great and wonderful God. So Lord, help us as we come to worship you now. Amen. Now we're going to be singing to our God. We're going to be singing the praise of our majestic God. So let's uh, stand and sing as the, the music starts.
Well, let's uh, turn again to God's Word, and we're looking at Mark chapter 4, which is page 1012 in the Church Bibles, and we're going to start our reading at verse 26, reading through to verse 29, and then we're going to be reading from verse 35 through to 41. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, At once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Then moving on to verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? We're going to sing again now of the reality that the Jesus who came to earth is now on his throne, ruling from heaven. So the music starts, let's stand and sing.
Oh, Lord, we know that our hearts are weak, our, our minds are clouded, but we ask that now, as we come to you, that you will help us to appreciate that in heaven they are praising you, that their, their thunderous anthems sing the praise of the one who died, who rose, who is glorious, who was, who is, and who is to come, the one who reigns completely and totally. And Lord, if we're yours, there will be a day when we stand before the throne, where we worship you, where we are free from our sin, our weakness, we are washed, we are clean, and we are able to come to you perfectly. Oh Lord, we thank you that as we come to you, we know that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh Lord, we ask that all of us will want that cleansing. Oh Lord, we pray that you will give us all that confidence that you mean what you say, that we can come to you no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. Because the blood of Jesus is enough to cleanse us from all of our sin. And that if we are yours, we are in your family, we belong to you, and we are made for that close relationship with you. Oh, we ask that you'll help us not to hide from you. Oh, Lord, we are, we are weak and we, we know that. We know that often our, our minds and our hearts are over-influenced by our circumstances. Oh, Lord, we pray that you will help us to rely on you with whatever is filling our mind with worry. Oh Lord, we, we ask that whether it's exams, whether it's work pressure, whether it's health, oh Lord, we pray that you'll help us to trust you, to know you and to know your presence and to know that you do work out everything for the very best for those who love you. Oh Lord, we pray for those who are going through especially hard times. We pray for those who are in turmoil in their minds. We pray for those who are in hospital. We pray for Hilary. And we ask, Lord, that she will know your peace and your presence. Oh Lord, we pray for those who are lonely, who can't meet people like they want to because they're not able to. And pray that you will be specially close to them. And we pray for our brothers and sisters across the world who are being persecuted because they are yours. Oh, we thank you for their testimony. We pray that you will strengthen them. We pray that you will comfort them. And we thank you, Lord, that so often where their light is shining in a dark place, the gospel is going out and being effective. And we pray, Lord, that you will strengthen us. Oh, Lord, we pray that you will help us not to be cowardly, not to be afraid, but to be willing to give praise and glory and honour to our Saviour, wherever we find ourselves. 
we do thank you that you speak to us, Lord. We thank you that we have your word. Oh, we ask that you will help John as he teaches us from your word. We pray that it will come powerfully to our hearts and change our lives, we ask. Oh, Lord, we do thank you. Hear our prayers. Do be with us, we ask. Amen. So we're looking forward to John Wood, um, who's come to us from uh, Lansing, uh, preaching to us from the passage we read after our next song, which is Immortal Honours. So let's uh, stand and praise our Lord. favorite hymn um, and uh, I think I'd like to have that hymn at my funeral although I will not be singing it uh, on that particular occasion. It's good to, uh, to, to sing a hymn like that I thought you'd probably be able to sing it well here and, and you'd know it so um, that was, it was a blessing to me it was worth coming just for that but um, I've come for, for other things too. So we'll have a picture up in a moment um, that's right good. The, the story that we've read is very familiar. And of course, the, the problem with a familiar story is we immediately think we kind of know everything about it. And there's nothing that we're going to discover that's fresh from it. I, I sometimes think it's a good thing to suspend our, our memory for a moment and to pretend that we have never heard that story ever before. And that today, we're going to be thinking about uh, that story of the calming of the storm for the first time. Uh, today I was talking to a lady who, um, I told her that I was coming here and I told her that I was going to be preaching on this passage and she reminded me that I'd spoken at, at her husband's funeral just a couple of 
years before, and I'd made reference to this story um, because they'd been to Jerusalem and, uh, and to Israel and they'd been to all the different sites and they'd been to the lake and they'd been on the lake and they had this experience of the weather very suddenly turning. Not quite so dramatically. They were not in a, a kind of storm that looked as though you were about to see the, the ship go under. It was not a titanic moment. But it was um, scary enough to, to stay in their memory. Now, the past couple of years have been difficult years for most people. Uh, two or three years of COVID and economic and political uncertainty. Most um, communities, most churches have had their stories of difficulties, experiences of storms, things that have shaken the boat, reversals, the reduction of our lives maybe as certain individuals, losses, burdens, challenges that maybe have brought us to our wits end. And therefore, um, a story like this speaks with great resonance to our lives in these times. In the early church, the idea of a, a boat being tossed up and down on stormy waters was a kind of metaphor, an image of what the church was going through in those early centuries, where the church was very much marginalised within the Roman Empire and were very much under pressure every day to conform to the rule that the emperor is lord and to abandon their newfound faith in Christ. And they faced those kind of pressures and that idea of a boat tossed in the waves, very familiar idea in terms of thinking about the pressures upon our lives. Imagine the scene. The scene is Jesus having been very busy preaching and healing, um, having the energy sucked out of him by all those who wanted a piece of him, who wanted to hear his wisdom and receive something of the gift of his power at work in their lives. Um, it is demanding to work every day in the work of God's work. I'm very pleased that John and Esther have been away on holiday and have had the benefit of two weekends away. I don't know quite um, what their circumstances were when they left Forest Fold and went for their rest. But preaching and helping and listening and visiting and caring can be very demanding. Now, I've been a pastor for over 40 years, and I never say my work is harder than anyone else. I know that there are people in the congregation who have to get up um, far earlier than I do to get to the railway station, to get to their work, who have the demands, maybe, of a huge workforce, who have huge decisions to make every day, life and death decisions, perhaps, in a surgeon's row. I realise that um, many people can work as hard as a Christian leader, a Christian minister, but there is something about the spiritual dynamic of having to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in a time when you're ministering the word of light in a time of darkness, which can be very challenging, which can be absolutely exhausting. The scene is that, that Jesus has been extremely busy. He's been giving, giving, giving. And the suggestion is they have a break. They take a break, they take a boat, and they sail off into the sunset. You know, at this time of the year, um, it's the time of the year when cruise companies put out their adverts to try and encourage people. Because, you know, when you wake up in the morning and it's a cold, clammy day, and it's dull and raining, the idea of being on a deck with a cool drink in the sunshine seems very attractive. Jesus has been very busy, and they decide that they'll take a trip on the lake, a boat trip. Perfect. Just what the doctor ordered. Because Jesus is drained. They take him onto the boat just as he is. The kind of image that somehow 
Jesus is accompanying them, but he's kind of only just limping over the line. In January, Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, resigned, unexpectedly resigned. That's the first of two um, surprise resignations by women leaders in the Western world. Just this last week, Nicola Sturgeon saying, I'm only a human. There's only so much I can do. Eight years is maybe enough. Jacinda Ardern said, I'm giving up because there simply isn't anything left in the tank. I wonder if you can identify with that. You kind of get to the end of a week. You get to end of a year. And suddenly you feel that you've got nothing else to give. Nothing else to give in your family or your church, your workplace or your neighbourhood or your society. You just feel as though you're a toothpaste tube and all the toothpaste has been squeezed out. You've rolled it one way and you've rolled it in the other and it's all gone. They took him just as he was. It's exhausting to be a preacher of God's word. Exhausting to be Jesus, a magnet for people's need. And Jesus, drained, is taken into the boat. We're told that there were other boats with him. We don't know how many people there were, but maybe a huge crowd of people who were witnessing this. Jesus going into the boat and immediately hitting the sack, laying down on a pillar in order to um, take some much-needed rest. I guess it was one of those moments when we, we experience you, you get home, you've been very busy, you lay down, and the next thing you remember is the alarm clock, if you need an alarm clock. As soon as your head hits the pillow, you are gone. You know, in this story, you might have noticed it, there are three uses of the word great, the word megas. Great storm, great calm, great fear. And uh, we'll, kinda, we'll notice those and, and see how important they are um, in the story. Now, the first um, part of those three great things is a great storm, a furious squall, a furious storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. I come from East Anglia and we have a saying in Lowestoft on the coast um, that sometimes it is too nice too soon. It is sunny at seven o'clock and it's raining at 11 o'clock. We know what it's like. We go for a trip and it seems so nice as we're settling, settling um, off on our journey. But uh, you get to mid-morning, you get to the place where you're going to and suddenly the clouds begin to gather and it begins to rain. Too nice, too soon. And it was one of those days. It was too nice, too soon on the lake. It was uh, fine when they were setting off in this flotilla of boats, but after a while, things became very serious. Now, in the Old Testament, the ability to construct, control storms was something that was kind of recognized as being something that was particularly peculiar to God, that God had the control over the, the waters, and we saw that in that reading from Psalm 107. God is able to control the stormy sea, and is able to settle the ship in danger. And the image of a storm is an image of chaos. The image of the chaos of the nations, the, the image of the chaos of people's thinking. Sometimes the, the tossing sea is an image of, of evil stirred up and seeking to do great harm. But believers, as Psalm 107 tells us, we're able to trust in God, that even in the greatest storms, they could be protected and they could be brought through. It's almost as if Mark, in this little retelling of the story of the calming of the storm, is paraphrasing those words in Psalm 107 and writing them for a fresh audience to say, just what happened then 
in Psalm 107 that's been celebrated for centuries is now happening before our eyes in the work of the Lord Jesus. Um, now, for the disciples, some of whom were fishermen, this was not an unfamiliar experience, being in a storm. They knew how unpredictable the lake could be. They knew how the kind of thermals around the lake could suddenly whip up the waters and there could be a storm that would threaten their boat. They knew all about that. And it wasn't, therefore, the storm that was particularly uh, drawing their attention at this time. It was the person who was at the eye of the storm. It wasn't the storm that they were particularly concerned about. It was Jesus at the heart of the storm who was asleep. It was the sleeping Jesus that was more disturbing than the mounting waves. Jesus is in the stern on a cushion sleeping. Now, I guess that if you've been very busy, that stern cushion was as comfortable as a luxurious suite on an ocean-going liner. It was just so welcome. Welcome to have a break. Welcome to have a change. And Jesus is sleeping. I remember hearing a sermon by a man called Fred Craddock. And in the sermon he said, he finds it difficult to imagine Jesus being asleep. He says he can imagine many things about Jesus. He can imagine Jesus preaching. He can imagine Jesus encountering people and ministering to them healing people. He can imagine Jesus in Gethsemane. He can remember, imagine Jesus on trial and, and upon the cross. But he finds it difficult to imagine Jesus sleeping. He says it's not because he's got some kind of spooky idea of Jesus, that somehow Jesus was someone who was living in the shadows who didn't need to sleep, didn't need to rest. He, he realized that Jesus became a real human being, that God became man. And that meant he, he cried tears, he, he smiled, he needed to eat, he needed to drink, he needed to sleep. Just that I just find it difficult to picture him being asleep. Because sleep is a very private thing. Generally speaking, when we sleep, we sleep in private. Now I know that probably there's one or two people occasionally who have been asleep in this room. But it's not generally the plan, is it? Maybe it's just got a bit too warm and, uh, and maybe we've found our head nodding a bit and maybe some of us have, in a, in a longish prayer when our eyes have been closed, moved into a, a zone of sleep. But it's not where we normally should sleep. Uh, we sleep in private. And of course we sleep in private because sleep is something that we don't have control over. Once we're asleep, I remember being on a train and seeing a, a man who fell asleep and his head slowly moved from being upright to being face down and his head was touching the floor of the train. He still didn't wake up. I think everybody was waiting for him to keel over. Now, no one wants to be seen like that. Sleeping is a private thing. When we sleep, we sprawl. When we sleep, we toss and we turn. When we sleep, maybe we drool. When we sleep, maybe we snore. Sleep is a private thing. And therefore, you can understand Fred Craddock saying, I find it difficult to imagine Jesus being asleep. And of course, sleep is not just something that we do to rest. We also sleep to avoid. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced a duvet day. You've woken up in the morning and you have no compelling reason to face the day. In fact, you have every reason to avoid the day. You pull the duvet over your head and you try and go to sleep. Um, maybe to sleep through that challenging day. Sometimes sleep is beckoned to avoid Avoid the realities of life. Avoid the challenges of life. Maybe the disciples thought about that preacher who was asleep in a cabin 
when there was a storm raging overhead and the sailors were out of their minds with worry. Maybe they were thinking of Jonah, who went down into his cabin to have a nap to avoid being responsible for the, bringing the good news to needy men and women. Sleep can signal many things. It can be rest. It can be avoidance. It can be not facing up to our responsibilities. You can kind of forget when you are asleep. Maybe, maybe that's what the disciples were feeling about Jesus. The storm was raging about them, but there was a storm going on in their hearts, inside the disciples. Think of the range of feelings. They'd been happy to set sail with Jesus on this trip in the boat. It was a rest. It was a change. They became concerned when the, the clouds began to darken. They became concerned when the wind began to whip up the waves. They became afraid. And, of course, some of these... Some of these men were fishermen. They, 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 they knew what the water could do, and they were afraid. They were terrified. This is something very serious. I come from a fishing community, and people in the fishing community, they respect the sea. Many fishermen, they say, I'm not going to learn to swim. You simply survive longer before you die. There's the pessimism of um, East Suffolk fishermen. They respect the sea. They know what it can do. They've had family members who have been killed as a result of um, being at sea. The contest between man and water usually ends up with water winning. And then their feelings turn to anger. Here they are in a boat with Jesus. And they've seen him calm the storms of troubled people. They've seen him speak words of life and peace and calm. He is in the boat, but he is asleep. I wonder, I wonder whether you have ever had the thought in your mind that God has forgotten your postcode, that somehow he is not on your case. He's not interested. He's not involved. He's not at work. Sometimes it can feel when we pray that God is acting like an underachiever. And that's what the disciples felt here. They felt that Jesus was an underachiever. He is asleep in the storm. And the disciples wake him. I don't know how they did it. I mean, do you kind of immediately walk up to him and start shaking him? Do you kind of begin to have a kind of committee about it? You know, should we, should we wake him? I wonder quite what went through their minds. But finally did. They wake him up and they say, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, the interesting thing is, this did not come as a prayer. It didn't come as a, an expression of despair, but, a, but an expression of anger. Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? Uh, Jesus is not being given the benefit of the doubt. Jesus is being put in the dock. He is being charged. He is being charged with dereliction of duty. They have decided that he does not care. Do you not care that we are perishing? How can this happen to us? We're with Jesus. How can this happen to me? I'm a Christian. How can this be happening? They say to Jesus, wake up. Step up. We're frustrated by the silence. I was talking to a group of preachers yesterday on preaching at Easter. 
And I talked about how Easter is a weekend. Easter is Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But in the middle, there is Holy Saturday or Quiet Saturday. And it's a reminder at the heart of the Christian message. In the middle of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, there is silence. Silence. And in the Christian experience, there is, quite often, a lot of silence. A lot of white page where there seems to be no writing on it, where there seems to be no immediate response. Someone has said it is by no means easy to always be confident that Jesus is in command. It's not always easy to believe that Jesus is in command and the disciples do not believe he is in command at this moment. Jesus gets up and with an echo of Psalm 107 says, quiet, peace, be still. Jesus is the word of God the Father. He is the word. Through him, everything that's been created has been created. When the word is spoken, let there be light, and there is light. Let us make man in our own image. There is man. The word speaks, and everything is calm. Be still. Quiet, be still. Be muzzled. That's an echo of that other psalm, Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Shut up. Stop. No more. No more storm. No more tossing. No more turning. Be still. Peace. And there was a great calm. There was a great storm. And now there is a great calm. Same word is used um, at the, the time of the, the Red Sea, when the Red Sea was, um, was divided, and there was a, a great calm for the, uh, for, for the people to, to go through the waters. Be still. I wonder if you've had that, that message come to you. Maybe you've been all churned up about something or other in your life, and suddenly you've kind of realised that the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, my peace I give to you. And you've kind of felt that peace. You've felt a peace that's lifted your burdens. It's quietened your spirit. Because that's who Jesus is. He stands and he says, be still, and there is great calm. And he turns to the disciples and says, why are you so afraid? Do you ha still have no faith? And, and what it seems to be saying to us is that panic separates us from Jesus. When we panic, it's very difficult at the same time to trust in Jesus. I love African proverbs, and there's one African proverb that has the amazing line, you can't laugh and whistle at the same time. You kind of try, try it in your own time. You can't laugh and whistle at the same time. You just try it. it. Just You can't do it. And I suggest that it's very difficult to, to panic and trust at the same time. You know, we, we expend all our energy in panicking, and we just don't seem to have anything left um, to, to trust. Human relationships shrivel when trust diminishes. That's true, isn't it, humanly speaking? It's true between a husband and wife, between parents and children. But when trust is reduced, well, then intimacy is reduced. It's very difficult for us to rest confidently in someone if we um, are panicking about what they've done and who they are. So there are two kind of great themes here that Mark is talking about. He's talking about fear and he's talking about faith. Fear and faith. And fear and faith do not coexist as good friends together. They don't mix well. 
One pushes out the other. There's only room in this town for the one of us. One at a time, faith or fear. And I think it's in our experience that either we are full of faith or we are full of fear. One drives the other out. How can faith address our fear? Fear of the dark. Fear of redundancy. Fear of loss of health. Fear of the death of a loved one. Fear of our own death. Fear of yet another morning at that workplace or at that classroom with those people, with those hard words, with those problems. Someone has said that the crux of discipleship is located here. The disciples needed him to do things. He wanted them to trust him. They needed him to do things. He wanted them to trust him. Kind of a revolutionary thing when you think about it, when you think about what it means to be a believer, what it means to pray. Praying is about, in part, bringing our request to God, receiving th things from God. But prayer is also a place where we learn to trust God. Sometimes we need to have our eyes taken away from the things that we want, that we insist that we need, and think about what, what God wants to teach us about himself and what it is to trust in him. You know, I read that, we had that parable read in Mark chapter 4. It's the only time that that parable occurs in the New Testament. It's unique in Mark, and it's placed here. Did you notice something about that, that parable? Did you notice something that is important for us as we think about this story in, uh, in the calming of the storm. Did you notice something? In that parable, I'm going to read it again. He said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps. What have we been talking about? We've been talking about sleep. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces corn, first the stalk and then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle in because the harvest has come. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. That's what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like this. Whether the king is sleeping or up, the work continues. The work is going on. They just heard that parable. It was one of the last bits of teaching that Jesus has given. And the first opportunity they have to see Jesus asleep, they assume that he is inactive. Night and day. Now, I think the disciples did learn this lesson, didn't they? Did you look at Acts 12 this morning? No. No, it was last week. That was last week, yeah. Because that was my title. That was the mistaken title. So interesting you looked at that last week. Peter. He's going to die tomorrow, he thinks. And he's in prison. And he goes to sleep. He goes to sleep so soundly that an angel has to literally poke him to wake him up. Now, it seems to me that Peter has learned the Jesus asleep in the boat lesson. He's learned to trust. Of course, we, as you heard last week, um, Peter got out of jail free card and managed to escape. But he didn't know that. He didn't know that when he went to sleep that night. He slept and he rested because he trusted us. Someone has said that we do not judge his care for us by the roughness of the seas over which we sail. Sometimes life is tough, isn't it? Sometimes life is tough for Christians. Maybe for you tonight. Maybe for friends that you know around the country or around the world. Friends who are Christians in Ukraine. 
Turkey, Syria, Arab countries. It's tough to be a Christian. It's tough to trust in God. The disciples ask the question, who then is this? Now, chapter 4, 35 to 41 is the first in a whole series of, of miracles in Mark's gospel that explain something of what Jesus can do and who Jesus is. And finally, this question, who is this, is answered quite emphatically on that first Good Friday when a Gentile Roman centurion looks up at Jesus dying on the cross and says, surely this man is the son of God. Who is this? And following this, the disciples are going to scratch their heads and ponder who this is. Who is this? Mark concludes the stilling of the storm story with a question. Question, which is a doorway to faith. Who then is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. Who then is this? Here is someone who is a category breaker. Here is someone who is one out of one. There's no one like him. No one that we've met like him. He has broken out of all human categories that we have ever seen before. Jesus does not fit neatly into any box that these men had ever had or experienced before. Jesus is the great category breaker. Who then is this? Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, this is a story about faith on stormy days. But I want you to see what has happened to these disciples and what can happen to us. When stormy days come, what happens? Jesus suddenly seems so much smaller than he was in the past. Difficulties can shrink Jesus in our imagination. The difficulty becomes so big that we find it difficult to imagine that Jesus is big enough for that difficulty. And then, as this story unfolds, and Jesus stands up and he says, quiet, suddenly, before the eyes of the disciples, Jesus becomes very big again, bigger than they had ever imagined him to be. Who then is this as he addresses the storm? We had that experience. We have that experience when we first become a Christian. We've heard about Jesus. We've heard about the stories. But suddenly our hearts are opened and we realize that however beautiful, however beautiful a preacher said that Jesus is, however powerful, however wonderful, however all-sufficient he is, he is more. He is the bread of life, we're told, that satisfies us. And we've come and believed. And we, we find that we do not hunger. And we do not thirst. He is better. He is bigger. He is greater than anyone could ever tell us. He's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power as a work in us. The strange thing is that as they ask the question, this solemn question, they are terrified. And that's the third great. They were terrified. They experienced great fear. Now, this is the odd thing, isn't it? The odd thing is they are more scared after the storm than they are in the storm. That's a weird thing, isn't it? Now, normally, if we're trying to calm people down, our children, our wives, our husbands, don't panic. Trying to calm them down, we want them to kind of feel easier and calmer afterwards. But in this story, the disciples are more afraid after the peace than they were in the storm. Because when you begin to realize just who Jesus really is, 
suddenly you realize that everything has got to change in your life and experience. Things can never be the same again. Your attitudes can never be the same again. Because this is who Jesus actually is. The story ends with a question mark. Who then is this? Have you answered that question? Have you answered the question like the centurion answered the question? Surely this man is the son of God. Have you confessed him? Have you trusted him? Do you know him? Do you rely upon him? Do you lean upon him? When he says to you, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, have you come? Trusted. Have you cast your burdens on the Lord that he might sustain you? Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Have you begun to see that he is big enough, that he is enough for you and your circumstances, any circumstance in the past, the present, or the future? Kind of think of those words in Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Jesus says, I will be with you in the storm. I've got this. Trust. Trust in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for this amazing story about Jesus. We thank you for what it reveals about his character, what it reveals about his ability and tensions and tenderness. Father, we acknowledge, uh, we confess that sometimes our confidence in him is reduced by our circumstances. Sometimes he shrinks in our imagination and the darkness and the troubles seem so much bigger than he is. Father, we pray that by your spirit, you will so enlarge our vision of who Jesus is, so enlarge our vision of what he can do, that you will help us not to panic and fear, but to trust and rest in you. Father, we commit one another here to you. We pray that anyone who is going through a storm-like experience in their lives will be enabled today to come by faith to Jesus and experience his quietening word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
thank you for what we've learned about you. We ask that you will give us that solid faith in our awesome God who is with us in the storm. And then we will be able to bless the Lord. And we ask that we will have hearts that are full of praise to you, whether the sun shines or the rain comes. Thank you, you love us. Thank you, you know us. Thank you, you care for us. Amen.